Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. I was sitting over there as soon as uh, Terry started to sing. I, uh, I was thinking about like this week and the rest of the week and you know we don't have outreach tomorrow. So I was thinking about because it's Valentine's Day and, and then it hit me just then what the mark is for this week. <laughs> and, it's, and the reason why I'm laughing is because it just shows how slow I am. And how control God is, is it, how much God is in control uh, with the mark that we're looking at tonight. So um, let's just pray and we're going to jump into that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do for us. Again, we thank you for uh, the many blessings uh, that you pour out in our lives, God. We are thankful for uh, just the, the promise, as we sang about earlier, uh, because of you, the fact that you live, uh, that we have promise of tomorrow we we have the expectation of that place you're preparing for us. And uh, God, we're just so thankful for all of this. Lord, we pray tonight that uh, you'd be exalted as we uh, turn to your word, as we look at this important uh, journey that we're all on uh, of spiritual growth, uh, aiming at spiritual maturity, aiming at Christ-likeness. And um, Lord, I pray tonight our hearts would be open, our, our spiritual eyes and ears would be in tune to hear what the Spirit says uh, to all of us tonight, and uh, Lord, that we would seek after this mark, um, that it would be something that's prevalent in our lives, uh, no matter where we're at on the, the spectrum of spiritual growth. And so, um, Lord, we pray that you just move tonight, and uh, we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, in our study so far, we've looked at one mark and one impedance. The first mark, what, does anybody remember? So this is stretching that whole memory thing that we talked about uh, a few months back. Anybody remember what the first mark was? Don't look at your notes. What is it? Humility. See my wife. She listens. If she's the only one, I know. Uh, humility is the first mark. Uh, sometimes she does. No. Um, what was the first impedance? Anybody remember what that was? Good. Well done, young man. Strife and division. Yes. So we, we looked at that. Okay, so the first mark of maturity, we look at, um, and again, I want us to remember that Christ-likeness is the aim of all of our lives. So when we talk about spiritual maturity, uh, we, we've looked at so many scriptures in the first message dealing with that. So again, that's the aim of all of our lives. Uh, Jesus Christ is complete, completely mature. The Father in heaven is complete. He's completely mature, spiritually speaking. And so when we look at these marks, um, these are the marks that we see in our Savior. So again, as we get closer to Christ's likeness, as we become more spiritually mature, aiming at full spiritual maturity, these things are the things that should be evident, and not only evident, but prevalent, I believe, in our lives as spiritually mature Christians. Um, again, the first one is humility. Uh, you look at Jesus Christ, and, and, and again, I don't know that you can exhibit any other, a greater humility other than being God and humbling yourself to become in the fashion or the form of a man, as, as uh, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. So I, I don't know that you can become any more humble than that. Um, of course, he was born uh, of, of a lowly estate, uh, humanly speaking. Uh, he wasn't born into a, 
a, a king's family. He was born into a carpenter's. Um, and on and on and on and on. Humility we see in Christ. Uh, that impedance, that strife, that division, spiritually speaking, uh, and in the kingdom of God, just was not in Jesus Christ. It was everything that he was not. Uh, he was all unity with the Father, all unity in, in the, the, the kingdom of God. And so, uh, again, those are the things that should be in our lives. Um, just as the, the reminder, spiritual maturity is what we, as the children of God, are predestined to be. Uh, that's what Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, that, that it's God's predestined plan to conform us to the image of Christ, to shape us, to form us into Christ's likeness. And so, again, before there was time, God's desire for His people would be that we would walk in a way uh, that would look like He is. And again, Adam was the closest to that uh, before sin entered in, and the sin entered and changed all that. Uh, but again, this is what God wants us to do. What is, what is it to, to be formed or conformed to the image of Christ? Um, we can add these attributes. We can add these qualities. We could do that. Uh, but again, it's a spiritual shaping. And, and I would say most, I, I don't know if there's words to define it the best, but I, I think one way that we could define it accurately is to say that we are conformed to his holy stature. Again, we know in 1 Peter it tells us to be holy as he is holy. So to be conformed into Christ's image is to be conformed into a holy image. And uh, so when we look at our lives, that's the goal, and that's the, the path that we're all supposed to be on. Um, so the predestined plan for every Christian is to do this, as well as those who are pastors, teachers, evangelists that God gives to the church, which we already looked at. But I want to look at this again. It gives us, again, the purpose of uh, the structure inside the church, the, 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 the functions inside the church, the gifts uh, of, of the people that God has given to the church. This is the reason why. And, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers, pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. That's why. For the, for the equipping of the saints for the ministry and for the building up the body. So this is why teachers teach, preachers preach, evangelists evangelize. This is why these men were given to the church so that the, the saints, the body of Christ, would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? Well, there's a lot of things that goes into the work of the ministry, but primarily, the primary work of the ministry is the Great Commission. That's what it is, to reach the lost, to, to teach them to, to follow Christ with everything they have. Um, and so that's what our job is to teach, to preach, to lead by example as well, but to equip the saints to be able to go out and give the gospel and teach others to follow Jesus Christ. It's not the pastors, it's not the teachers, it's not the evangelist's job alone to do those things. It's our job to equip and also set an example in all these things. So it's for the equipping of the saints for the ministry to build up, to strengthen, to edify the body of Christ. And, and here's the end, end result. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, right here it is, to mature manhood. And so if, if anybody had a question, well, what was mature, mature manhood? Spiritually speaking, what does mature manhood look like? Scripture tells us. To the measure, the ruler of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we look at the life of Christ, we look at the person of Christ, we look at the, 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 the life, the living, the, the attributes, everything about Jesus Christ, 
The purpose of teachers and preachers and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build them up, is so that the church, the people of God, would grow in, in a spiritual way, a spiritual mature way, that we would all grow up, that the whole body together, individually and collectively, would grow up in a way that we look like the life of Jesus Christ, that we look like the person of Jesus Christ. Um, again, that's, that's the goal. And here's some of the reasons why. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine, carried about by, uh, I'm sorry, waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <coughs> Excuse me. And that leads to our second mark tonight. And this is why I was kind of chuckling earlier. The second mark is love. Yeah, so Valentine's Day is tomorrow. That's, what, that, that's why I was giggling, you know. I don't giggle. So I, don't, <laughs> I wasn't giggling. I was kind of chuckling at my, you know, just slowness, humanly speaking, and God's sovereignty. Because I, pro I promise you with everything I have, uh, as I was just praying and kind of jotting down the things that I knew that, knew that Scripture said, kind of marked uh, maturity and, and, and were attributes, of course, of our Lord uh, that we should all have in our lives. I, again, I told you, there was not necessarily a, a chronological order, a sequential order that, that the first mark that you gain as a Christian on the path of spiritual maturity is humility. And then the second mark you gain is love. That's not what it is at all. It's simply, these are the things, they're not in any particular order, just as the Lord has put them on my heart. And I had no idea that this is how it was going to fall four, five, six weeks ago when I was praying and, and began to pray about this. Um, and so I just, I was like sitting over there, she started singing. I just started thinking about Thursday, no outreach, Valentine's Day. And I start, my mind started to go there. I was listening to your song, Miss Terry. I was. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my mind was, was, was going there. And then, and I thought, love, Valentine's Day. And I was like, oh my goodness. I didn't even connect the dots until right then. Uh, so praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I want to say about this mark of love being a mark of maturity to love doesn't mean that you are mature. You know, you get what I'm saying? You can love somebody and you say, well, I love, so I guess I'm spiritually mature. No, that doesn't mean that. Just because you love doesn't mean that you are spiritually mature. However, to be a spiritually matured or maturing, to be someone who is further, moving further along in the process of maturing, love is an absolute mark. And so when we look at somebody's life, uh, we, we, we say, well, are, are they, are, are, are we moving? Remember we talked about uh, Brother Tony Evans uh, talked about it. I shared it last week about some of the things that he sh uh, shared as far as what it looks like for to be spiritually mature. Uh, times uh, uh, ra uh, rate times um, time equals distance. And so um, on that scale of spiritual maturity, if you've been a, a Christian for 10 years, if you've been a, a Christian for Tw uh, 20 years, been a Christian for five years, your spiritual maturity should be in proportion to the time that you've been a, a Christian. You should be taking the steps every day to make sure that you are not just um, calling yourself a Christian, but that you're moving along the scale of Christian maturity. It takes several different disciplines to make sure that happens. It takes 
obedience. It takes faith. Um, it, it takes, uh, of course, prayer and, and, and being in the Word. It takes fellowship. Uh, it takes community. It takes so many different things for us to move at a healthy rate along this. All those things God intended to be, to be disciplines in our life to help us along the spiritual maturity spectrum, if you will. As I shared before, uh, just saying, well, I go to church is not going to move you at the rate that God wants to move you down the, the, the path of spiritual maturity. Just going to church isn't going to do it. On the flip side of that, just reading your Bible and forsaking the assembling of yourself is not going to move you at the rate down the spiritual maturity. On another hand, just praying and saying, I've got this close connection with God without being in his word and his word being in you is not going to move you down the path. Again, the, the, the aspects of faith and obedience and, and following his word, those are the things that are necessary to move us down. Now, it's all by God's grace. It's all by his spirit, this maturing process is. But our part is to do what our part is. And then God does what only God can do, and that's conform us to the image of his son. That's the sanctification process. And so that's, that's, that's God's work. Our job is to, to do those things. Now, with that being said, love, we know, according to Galatians chapter 5, is a fruit of the spirit. So when we get saved, we get the love of God in us with the Spirit of God that's put in us. The, the Spirit does this washing and regeneration according to Ephesians chapter 1, and He abides in us according to Romans chapter 8, I think, or 9. Uh, it tells us that um, we don't have any part of Christ if His Spirit is not in us. And so uh, when we get saved, we get the love of God placed in us. This love is an imprint in our life, and it's obvious in our life when we are moving to a, a place of a greater spiritual maturity. So when you got saved, you had a love, God put his love in you, and it was a love that you didn't have before. Maybe you were a, a loving person before, but you didn't have the love that God gives until you got saved. Now that love, I believe, according to Scripture, becomes more and more obvious in our life the more spiritually mature that we become. You see somebody that's wrapped up in bitterness. You see somebody that's wrapped up in, in spite. You see somebody that's wrapped up in, in, in vindictive words and vindictive behavior. I don't care how long they've been a Christian. I don't care how theologically wise or smart they sound. If that's the, that's the exhibition of their life is those things versus exhibiting love, that's not maturity. Again, we talked about that before. You can have a lot of biblical knowledge. You can have a lot of what the Bible says, and you can, you can sit there and, and name scriptures, and you can, uh, you can uh, recite and, and, and memorize scriptures and still, and have been a Christian for 20 or 30 years. But when it comes to how you treat other people or how you forgive other people or how you exhibit love, it's it's lacking, then that, does, that means that you haven't moved down that road of spiritual maturity quite maybe like you have thought you, you have. Love is, is obvious, and it becomes more obvious in the life of someone who is spiritually maturing. It manifests itself not only when you're supposed to be loving and spiritual in the church, which some people don't even care about that. They're just not loving and spiritual when they're in church. So you, you know, and then they claim to be mature anyways. But no, I mean, uh, but again, love manifests, manifests itself in the home. So this 
this attribute of spiritual maturity, this mark of spiritual maturity, is seen at all times. It's, it's exhibited in the home. It's exhibited when we're gathered as the people of God in the, in the presence of other saints. It's also exhibited at work. It's exhibited in the car. It's exhibited on the highway. It's exhibited everywhere. It's not just, I'm feeling spiritually mature right now, and so I'm loving. <laughs> and I'm really aggravated right now, and so I'm not. You know, that's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a mark that's obvious, and it becomes more obvious the, the further we go down the line. It's clear in the good and in the bad. It's distinguished in the mature saint, even when it's inconvenient to be seen. See, there's times that it's not just, I don't, I don't want to be loving. It's not, it's not convenient for me to be loving. It, it doesn't feel right to be loving. But in the life of a maturing Christian, in the life of, of a, a progressed, matured Christian, uh, it's, it's, it's seen even when it's inconvenient uh, to be loving. It's not solely present when we're supposed to be loving. Supposed to be loving, right? Like there's times that we're not supposed to be loving. And, and so, but in our minds, that's how we operate. Even as redeemed Christians, there's times that we say, well, I, I mean, the reason why I'm just not super nice and, and lovey, 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 dovey with, with them is they're just not very, they're not a nice person. That just says, I'm just not spiritually mature. <laughs> like when you say that, that's what is coming out of your mouth. You may have the other thing, but what the definition and the illustration that's coming out of your mouth is I am not moving down the road of spiritual maturity. When you're saying things like, I'm just not very loving to them because they're not very loving to me. Again, that's not the love that Christ exhibited. That's not the life, the, the spiritually complete life that he exhibited was that he loved when he was hated. He showed love when he was reviled, the Bible says, and despised. So it's not solely love, this attribute of love, this, this mark of maturity is not present only when we're supposed to be loving, but it abides and it's evident even when our flesh says, I don't need to be loving right now. <laughs> Now is not the time, you know. We'll see more of that in just a minute. But if you notice there in Ephesians chapter 4, there was this juxtaposition, if you will. And, and, and that just simply means there's this two things held side by side, put up next to each other. And, and we see it right there in the last few verses that we looked at. And it was two types of speaking, basically. Um, and, and if you look back, the first type was the type of speaking that spiritual maturity would be protected by or protected from. So there was a type of speaking, there was types of, of words, there was types of teaching and, uh, or doctrine, there was types of, uh, of speech that if we are spiritually mature, we are guarded from. Speech that creates unstable spiritual standing. It uses changing. It uses multiplied doctrines. Human cunning, as the Bible says. This, this having or, or showing this skill of, uh, of, of achieving one's end by deceit is the definition. It also said that it's, it, it's, it's uh, defined by craftiness in, dece in deceitful schemes. 
And so they're all over the religious realm. They're all over even pseudo-Christian realm, which means fake or false Christian uh, religion. Uh, it's all over even, I believe, in what would be evangelical churches. There are, there are schemes, there are, there are things of man that are taught as doctrine, but they're nothing but man's doctrine, man's beliefs. And they're taught as doctrines. Even the Bible, it was even around in the Bible days. And, and so he's saying this, the, the reason why preachers and teachers and evangelists use their gifts in the church is so that the saints are equipped, that they are equipped for the work of the ministry. And not only that, so that the whole body is built up and strengthened, spiritually growing, spiritually strong, spiritually maturing, so that when this type of speech, this type of talking comes along, that the people of God are protected from that because of their spiritual maturity. The second type there in the last part of those verses was the type that fostered spiritual growth. So just on the opposite side, the other ones would, would hinder spiritual growth, would pull you away from being spiritually stable, doctrinally stable, these, 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 uh, without the, the preachers teaching the, uh, the truth, without teachers teaching the doctrine, without evangelists evangelizing, without these men doing what God has called them to do, then, then, then the saints of God would be like something that tossed back and forth with every wind and wave of doctrine. And that's what the, that first type does. But the second type was focused on, foster, fostering, uh, focused on fostering spiritual growth. It was focused on fostering body unity, the body of Christ, unity. And ultimately, again, a spiritual strength and maturity, both on the individual level and the corporate level. So there's something happening right now that's not about me, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about Christ. It says us, as the people of God, willingly gathering to be in the word of God together. There is a unifying, there is a building, there is a strengthening, there is a maturing. Even if you know all these scriptures and you know this attribute, it's still helping the whole body be built up. In the scripture, the last part says, in love. In love. I, I, I can promise you this, there's not another reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now other than that. The call of God and the love that God has put to do this because it's not my nature. I, I, I like Brother Everett's seat back there. I, I, it's just, I just like that better, you know? But I, I, I'm here, and, and I'm preaching because it's what God's called me to do, and because of what God's called me to do, I love it. I love it. I love the Word of God, and I love teaching. I love talking about it. I love sharing it. I love, I love sharing the gospel. But just by human nature, it's, it's just not there. And so love is the, the driving force that brings about this, this maturing. One uses deceit. One uses truth, but speaking the truth in love. One uses deceit, instability, immaturity. One uses truth, and it's done in love. One's for selfishness and, and, and through disdain and, and, and through selfish gain. The other is through sincere love. The one uses the truth, and the end, again, is the spiritual maturity driven by love. Paul uh, would highlight love in his address to the Corinthian church. Um, he, he was addressing them about their abuse and their misuse of spiritual gifts. He was, he was addressing them about the disorder that was coming about because how they were operating in the church, how they were exalting certain gifts 
that drew attention to, to themselves, that puffed themselves up. And so Paul was addressing them and correcting their theology and correcting their, their, their polity, their practices, um, and their governors. He was saying, listen, you guys have got it wrong. And in the middle of addressing that in chapter 12 and then in chapter 14, Paul puts in this parenthetical chapter, this parentheses, in the middle of saying, this is all the things that you're doing. You got a lot of gifted people. You got a lot of people exalting these things. You're doing these things wrong. Even though you're great and gifted, you're doing them wrong. And in the end of chapter 14, he says, all things need to be done decently and in order. And so again, he's trying to correct the way that they were doing church, the, the way that they were using their gifts. And in the middle of that, he, he, he sets aside this, this saying, you know what? The most important thing in all of the gifts would be to, to speak the truth. It would be the gift of prophecy. But there's something that has to be in the middle of all of it. There's got to be something that has got to drive everything you do in the church. Every gift that is done. Everything has to be from this place. In chapter 13, he takes a whole chapter. God inspires him to write an entire chapter that addresses what this one thing is that they have to have and operate by. And it's interesting in this chapter, he points to this maturing process that brings him to this place. Look at it in chapter 13. I'm going to just read the whole thing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, hypothetically, if, if I had the ability to do like this and, and, and I don't have love, then I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I have not love, I am nothing, he says. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a Christian in our day and time who had so much faith power that they were doing all this? People would make them They'd exalt them on a pedestal. And people have. I'm not saying that they had God-driven power. I believe there are people that have had a God or the enemy of God's power that has done that. But Paul says, even if I had all these amazing spiritual gifts and all this faith power in my life, if, if love wasn't the motivating factor, I would be Nothing. Nothing. Not a little guy. He didn't say that. I wouldn't. Be, no, he says nothing. He said, if I give away all that I have. I mean, I could be a, a super generous, super sacrificial person. I could deliver even up my own body to be burned. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. And then he explains what, what, that, what kind of love he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of love that God exhibited, that Jesus Christ lived on this earth and showed us. So he begins to explain if you want to look at what God-type love is, if you want to look at what a spiritually matured uh, a person along this path of spiritual maturity, further along this path of spiritual maturity, the kind of love that they have in their life, the kind of love that they have when they're serving in the church and using their gifts, the type of love that they have whenever somebody hurts their feelings or, or, or crosses them the wrong way, the kind of love that a spiritually mature person has this is what it looks like. Love is patient and kind. A lot of people out there are like, mm. kind? <laughs> or patient, you know? But that's what he says. Love is, so the type of, 
love that God has in Christ exhibited, the type of love that should be exhibited in our lives as a, as a progressively maturing Christian, it should be defined as patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And I don't just say it like this. Rude smells. Say, what? Yeah, that's what I mean. Rude smells. Christians shouldn't stink. We should not be rude. And if somebody, somebody's rude to you does not give you a right to be rude to them. Love is not arrogant or rude. We don't have that right. You say, well, they, they are supposed to be customer service and they should treat me like, I don't care what they're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be rude. If we are loving, if we are exhibiting the love of Christ, show me a place in the Bible where Christ was rude. And don't tell me when he threw over the money changers' tables. He wasn't being rude. He was cleansing the temple of the despicable sin that man had made it. The sinful place that man had made it. That's not rude. That's righteous. So, love is not rude. And again, human nature wants to be rude when somebody's rude back to us. They say a cutting word. Okay, fine. I'll say a cutting word back. No. That, that just shows us that we've got so much more uh, further to go along the path of spiritual maturity. When you can find yourself in a place in your life that you say, when somebody's rude to me, it kind of softens my heart. It, it, it shows me that maybe they're hurting, or maybe they're insecure, or maybe they're, they're void of something. Whoa, I don't think like that. Yeah. Again, when Christ looked at the people that were spitting in his face and slapping him and had him blindfolded and saying, hey, prophesy if you're Jesus, if you're God. The reason why he didn't rise up as king of kings and lord like, oh, you know. It's because he, he loved them to death. He had a love that could see their need and see the, the place of sinfulness and depravity that they were coming from and treat them in a loving way even if it was doing nothing. And so when we say, I've been a Christian for 20 years, but you're still being rude to people? I would say that the time you've been a Christian, 20 years, maybe has what's kept you from being further the distance is the rate that you've been moving, spiritually speaking. Maybe you, you're struggling with loving people like that because you haven't been doing the things or haven't been releasing the things or letting go of the things that need to happen in order for you to move further along. But this love, the Bible says, isn't arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way, which is difficult, right? Because we are selfish from the womb, right? Ask Brother Jake. They got a new baby. That baby don't care about how much sleep they get. <laughs> I promise you, that baby wants to eat and wants to be clean and not have gas. It's all that baby cares about. He don't care, he don't care about how how much his parents are doing for him. 
all about him. So tonight, when he's not sleeping, you say, why are you all about you? Think about me. <laughs> but what, what does love do? Love does. Love, love acts like this. It doesn't say, well, I'm not going to feed you because i got to get some sleep. You know, love, love moves in a different way. So it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Ooh. Right? Listen, we can all probably get a little irritable. But if you find yourself being irritated too easily and too often, it's just another mark or show, uh, uh, another revelation that this mark of love is really lacking in your life because that's, again, Jesus, uh, Peter says that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. If anybody could have been irritated, and, and, and Jesus, it's not, a, again, a, a righteous revelation in what he was saying when he says things like this, how long do I have to be with you? Oh, you have little faith. You know, you're not getting it. And I would say this, if anybody had a right to be irritated, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, you spent the whole time with these guys for three years, and you knew it was going to happen, but at the end of it, you have somebody who's supposed to be your kind of point guy cutting off the ear of somebody, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? I just told you that I was going to go die. Why are you doing this? And then that same guy goes and, and, and curses his name and, and leaves the bunch. And so if anybody had the right, I think it would be Jesus. But he wasn't irritable. He wasn't resentful. Love doesn't keep a grudge. It doesn't resent. It doesn't, it doesn't say, you know what? I'll remember that. Nope, that's not love. It's not love. I'm so thankful that God doesn't love me like that. Aren't you? I'm so thankful God doesn't love me like that. All right, Kyle, I'll remember that. Oh, man. Whew. Be a lot to remember. <laughs> it's not irritable, resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. And here it goes. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. And true love never ends. The Bible tells us in Romans that there's nothing, no height, no depth, no nothing, no, no principalities, no, nothing in this world or out of this world can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's how God's love is for us. That's the mark of love that should be in our life for God and for others. Our church's uh, vision and our purpose, our identity, is to be a praying church that's passionate for God, passionate for people. That's, that's what those two words speak to having a, a deepening and growing love for God, a deepening and, and growing love on fire, a fire, fervent kind of love for God and a fervent kind of love for people. It doesn't go out. It never ends. As prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, all these gifts, they're, they're going to they're gonna cease. As for knowledge, it'll go away. We know in part and we prophesy in part. We only see a little bit. But when that perfect has come... The partial will pass away. When I was a child, here you go. Here's the, talking about this, the spiritual progression. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. It was clear. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child because I was a child. 
But when I became a man, I put away those childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He says, you know what? There's going to come a time when we are whole, when we are full, we are complete, we're perfect, just like our Lord is. But right now, we, we see through this muddied glass. We don't see it very clearly. But when we're there, it'll be face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known of God. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Speaking to the pettiness that comes with spiritual immaturity, Paul makes it clear that there's an abiding attribute to all spiritual maturity, to all spiritual gifts that rises above everything that is in the midst of it all. He, he talks about three attributes, faith, belief, pistis, the Greek word pistis. It, it's, it, it's something so important in all of our lives. We have to have pistis in order to be saved. We have to have absolute uh, persuasion, fidelity, assurance in Jesus Christ alone. That's what it takes to be saved, by his grace. But he also says hope is an element in our lives as well. That's that confident expectation of things to come. Our blessed hope is the, re the return of our Lord. These things are essential, but without the right motivating element, without the right motivating factor in everything that we do and everything we have, every single thing falls flat. Everything pales in comparison to this mark of love, sincere love. How is it, how is it seen? Paul kind of diagrammed it there in chapter 13, but our love is manifested in very clear ways. It's manifested in our thoughts, it's manifested through our words, and it's manifested through our actions. That's how love is seen. That's how God demonstrated his love. He gave us his word. He demonstrated in actions. All his thoughts for us, the Bible says, are for our good and not for our evil. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, for uh, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Hey, that's a mark of a Christian. <laughs> is that you love other Christians. Look, if you've got a problem with another Christian and you are saved, love will not allow you to keep a grudge, as we said a while ago. It will not allow you to be rude and arrogant. It won't. It says right here that this is a proof of our salvation when we can sincerely love, like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, other brothers and sisters in Christ. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Ooh. It's a mark of a lost person. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Woo! I love, I love the word of God. Like, it does not pull any punches. It does not hold anything back. It just says it like it is. Look, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. It's very clear. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Whoa. So you can't say... Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't have to. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, not his. And so to love as he loved, to have his love abiding in us is the only way that we can love in spite of what people do to us. It's the only, it's our only way. And so that's how we know we are a Christian is that we love others. We love the brothers and sisters, that we can love those who don't love us. There's a power in us that God has given to us. It's the love that he gave. 
through the Spirit of God. In verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we saw and, and know and see the Word of God because He laid down His life for us. So, because He did that, that's our example, that's the love of God, we ought to, lo- we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know what is interesting here too? Do you, do you read in there that it says the brethren that you like? Anybody see that? You got that version? Nobody? Okay. I don't think so. I don't think that it's in there in any version. I know it's not in there in any version. We aren't to lay down our lives for the brethren that we like. We aren't to lay down our lives for the brethren that haven't wronged us. We, haven't, we aren't to lay down our lives uh, for those that we enjoy being around only. We are to lay our lives down for the brethren. See, can you imagine if Jesus Christ only went to the cross for the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, the one that laid his head in the bosom of Jesus? If he only went to the cross for John, because you know what? I love John. He's in the inner circle. He's a good guy. I'll die for him. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went to the cross for the criminal that was cursing him, dying next to him. He went to the cross for for the, the soldier that would uh, stick the spear in his side. He went to the cross for the one that placed the crown of thorns and then nailed it with a reed on top of his head. He went to the cross for those that did spit in his face and pull out his beard and mock him to his face and beat him with a cat of nine tails. He went to the cross for them. That's what love looks like. It doesn't sound very appealing to our flesh today because we live in a world that still says, even as it said in Jesus' day, when they said, you say an eye for an eye, but I say to you, this is what love looks like. He goes on and says, whoever has these worlds good and sees his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither just with our mouth, but in deed and in truth and sincerity. That's how we should love. God showed us this love. It says that in, in John 3, 16, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's, it says it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated His love. He commended His love towards, towards us. John chapter 15, Jesus would say, this is my commandment. This, notice how the wording there. This is my commandment, and I'm giving it to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love had no man than this, the man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus would eventually demonstrate the kind of love that he commanded them to have when he laid down his life for his friends. He would go on and, and say that you're, you're my friends if you, keep, if you do whatever, whatever I command you. So again, his, his friends are his people, his followers. When I got saved, when we got saved, again, we received this love of God. Was placed in us, and this ability through the Spirit of God to love in spite of, to love in spite of faults, to love in spite of offenses, to love in spite of sin, was given to us to exhibit in the home, to exhibit in the church, to exhibit at work, to exhibit on the road, to exhibit in the marketplace, to exhibit everywhere. It was the power that God gave to us through the Spirit at our at our salvation to love. In a way that God loved us. John chapter 13, Jesus would say that again. Again, as I referenced a while ago, Matthew chapter 5 is a very familiar scripture. 
You can look it up when you get time. I'm not going to read it tonight for time, but that's where Jesus said, hey, you've heard that you're supposed to uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. He would go on and say, listen, what, what is it is if you just love those that love you? What kind of love is that? That's not a real love. A real love is when you can love somebody who doesn't love you back. He goes at the end of that, 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 that section there, and he says this. The reason why you need to live in love like this is because that's, that's how your father is. You need to be perfect. You need to complete. You need to be whole. You need to be fully spiritually mature like your father in heaven is perfect. First John chapter 4 uh, many people call this, you know, kind of like a love chapter as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But it says, let us love one another, because love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, what? What? Knoweth not God. If you can't love in spite of, the Bible says, you need to check your salvation. That's what it says. Uh, it's not my words. It just says, if you can't love with the power that God is get, that supposedly you have inside of you to love in spite of, then you might not know God like you think you know God. You might not have that relationship that you think you have because one of the attributes of a Christian, period, is to love. But one of the marks of a spiritual maturing person is to have this agape love that Christ demonstrated when he walked on this earth, that God demonstrated when he sent Christ to this earth. 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded because uh, for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Did you hear those words? Above all. Keep on progressively, continually loving one another with a fervency. Why? Because that kind of love will cover a multitude of sins. Multitude of faults, multitude of offenses. It's not reminded that love is a mark of a Christian, but as I said a while ago, not just a Christian, but it becomes obvious and evident at all times in the life of a maturing Christian. To love God and to love as God loves in spite of faults. To love God and to love as God loves in sacrifice. Love God and to love as God loves without conditions is to bear the mark of this maturity. It's what we should be striving for. And so tonight I want to challenge you with that as I close. Where are you on, on the spiritual maturity scale concerning your love? Man, if, if you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and say, that's me, <laughs> I'd go back and read it again. <laughs> Because it says it's not arrogant. <laughs> um, but if you can read that and you can say, ah, I still struggle with that. It's okay. We're all in the process of growing. We're all in this, on this process of spiritual maturing. But I'm just saying this. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if you've been a Christian, man, love should be coming more and more obvious in your life as you mature. When people offend you, it should become less and less offensive as, as it goes along, as far as your response to that. As you go along and mature spiritually, 
love should become more and more prevalent. And, and, and others, as it says, love covers a multitude of sin. That's what it's talking about. If somebody offends you and sins against you and, and hurts you or, 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 or doesn't do something you like or whatever, love, as you mature more, becomes the, the re- response to their sin against you. And if you're still at a place where you're like, fine, I just, whatever. I'm just saying you've got a little bit further to go in your spiritual maturity. We've got a little bit further to go in our spiritual maturity. Tonight, I pray you're challenged as I was challenged. I, man, I'm like, I want this so bad. I, I, I want to love like this at all times so bad. But I feel my flesh pulling sometimes. Like, man, I just don't, I, I don't want that though. I, I want to keep progressing towards Christ-likeness. And, and, and every time that I, I realize I, and I read these things and I realize, man, it's not me 100% of the time, it shows me I've not yet attained. And I believe that's what Paul was trying to say when he said that. Man, I have not arrived. Man, I still struggle. I told John Mark, take a hike. You know, you're not coming with us this next time, whatever. I, mean, I don't know. But again, love should be this, Mark. And tonight I hope that you're challenged with this or encouraged with this, pushed with this urged with this, edified with this, so that we can all be built up and move closer to that spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be challenged. Lord, thank you for this opportunity uh, to look at this mark of maturity. Lord, we realize it's a mark of a Christian. Uh, We realize that you gave us the capacity to love when you gave us your spirit. Uh, But Lord, again, as we mature, it should be something that becomes more and more obvious. I believe to where it's glaring when, when I look at the life that you lived on this earth, God, um, it was glaring. Love was glaring in, in your life and through your life. Uh, again, how you responded in love to people who hated you, who despised you and crucified you. That is a glaring kind of love. Lord, help that be the love that we have glaring in our lives um, as well, Lord. And we'll praise you for what you do. Help us respond rightly to this. And we'll praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.